Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 124 of the Brighton Rock podcast, the Newcastle Review episode in which uh, we are going to talk about the Thieving Birds derby. Um, It was the chip-stealing seagulls who bagged the feast, whilst the magpie's attraction to shiny silver may now be redirected towards coveting a second-tier trophy next season, at this rate anyway. Here to squawk their way through this deliciously convincing victory are Richard Holberton, Andy Knott, and a welcome return to the gents, Mr. Raymond Wright. How are we all? Good evening, all right. Very well. Excellent. Good, good. Glad to have you all with us. Um, it's been obviously a great, great weekend for us with, with the game. We'll get into that in just a moment, but um, just to tell you, I'm still recovering from the, uh, the watch-along and various other things going on in the fundraiser that went ahead on Saturday, Solly March Day, 20th of March. Um, where um, several of us from the social media Albion-related worlds got together for a fundraiser, which went very well, together for AITC. I think it raised about £2,000, which was great. Everyone enjoyed themselves, and it was a bit of an epic. Um, and I don't know, just very briefly, did you guys tune into any of it? I, yes. I listened to the Bruno interview. Excellent. Very good. No, Bruno, Bruno Barber and the Newcastle fan. Regrettably, I I wasn't able to, Russ. Um, oh, I had I had intended to at times, but um, got a bit sidetracked on Saturday. But but well done to you and everyone else involved. Great effort. Yeah, excellent. Cheers, cheers. And it, it was good fun. Just to quickly reiterate as well, if anyone does want to um, donate funds, that they they are still open. I'll give details on that a bit later in the program. But to move straight on with the fun stuff, back to back wins, gentlemen. Um, a three nil win. Um, you know, it's just um, press reset, isn't it, in terms of playing against Newcastle? Same result as earlier in the season, which is a handsome victory, which helps the goal difference as well as the points total. Um, who wants to start with the gloat fest? Um, I can see Richard looking for a particularly um, chuff there at the top of my picture. Do you want to go first, Richard? Uh, yeah, I'll kick off if you like. Um, I, I mean, I'd start with start with the context of the game. So the way I felt about it beforehand was. It's the last quarter of the season. The opponent is 
in a relegation scrap, same as we are, or, or were, depending on your opinion. Um, <laughs> and uh, that, you know, so from that perspective, I'd have taken any kind of win whatsoever um, uh, at, at the beginning. So uh, to be, to, you know, to get to the end of it and, and to have been in, I think, complete control of the game pretty well from the first minute to the last um, and to have completely dominated every facet of the game, but very pleasing. Um, and as, as we said before we started recording, um, having been, you know, barely had our head above the relegation area two games ago, just, just on goal difference, it looks looks a lot healthier now. So, uh, yeah, it was a good evening. Yeah, I mean, it was decidedly comfortable. I, I'd actually fancied us. I put um, money on a, a small amount of money on a 2-0 win, and I wanted to cash out, wasn't able to, my betting account, um, because I did feel very confident at 2-0, that um, it wasn't going to finish 2-0 in a good way. And so it proved. Um, Andy, how, how pleased were you with that? Over, I mean, obviously the score was brilliant, but um, the performance in particular. Well, I, I mean, I'll make a point that I've made several times. I think we played <laughs> pretty well this season. Uh, I yeah. don't think we finished well this season. Um, and we certainly finished well last uh, um on saturday night i mean all, all of the goals were very good quality um i think um hmm. and i think we only had six on targets and for us to get three goals out of six shots on target is um extremely impressive uh, uh in comparison to this season's um conversion rate so that that was what the primary difference was in terms of um, uh, uh, the Newcastle game. Yeah, just to note that certainly the finishes for both Trussard and Welbeck's goal were pretty similar, I thought, um, and from a quite similar point as well, just outside the box. And we we haven't scored many goals from outside the box this season. Um, Basima against Everton, um, and I'm not really thinking of too many others, um, but I've got three... Albion fans in front of me, and they might be a supplement. <laughs> yeah, but, you've been very, um, very comfortable about the situation in terms of you've, you've always felt that things were going to um, take a turn because of the way we've been playing. Um, I guess the one thing that was different on uh, Saturday was that um, we did dominate the possession and get the win, which is not has not been the case. It's been one or the other, um, but sixty five percent possession. We had eleven shots to three, six on target uh, versus their one. Um, which I can't even remember what that was, to be honest. But anyway, because um, the post doesn't count, doesn't. Um, more corners and, and that sort of thing as well. So all the stats were in our favour, but more importantly, the, the, the winning stat, the, the goals was as well. Um, Raymond, what was your view on it? Um, anything to add to what's been said as an overview so far? I think we were a little bit slow the first two or three minutes getting into the game, but... Um... Well, first minute, really. And then Moda, who I was quite impressed with, uh, I mean, arguably could have had two um, goals in about the first three minutes, So, um, which was uh, uh, a nice welcome hello to the Premier League. I know he's had a bit of game time, but first start. Um, interesting enough, uh, just looking at the people from Sunday, and uh, we only actually had one shot off target, and that was that first one of Moda's. So uh, we had four block shots, and I suspect that most of those were on target. So we had the six on target, per se, uh, as Andy was saying. And, and I think a good 
um, good response to convert half of the, half of those. Um, for once, I thought we actually delivered what our play deserved. Uh, and I, I wouldn't have flattered us if we'd scored a couple more. Uh, yeah, I, so, I mean, I, I thought the the game was was always going to suit us because Newcastle are not um, a good side, but they're also not a team that sit in deep. They seem to just not quite do anything. They, there seemed to be space even very early in the game without yeah. them having taken the game to us much. Um, Addy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was really surprised by that because I mm. did expect um, Newcastle to play the deep block and I just couldn't work out what they were doing, really. We did seem to have an awful lot of space and we might get on to speaking about um, personnel and formation or whatever because I, I thought um, Potter worked miracles on that front with what he had available to him. And I suppose, um, coming back to one of the points that you made about me earlier, I'm just very, very positive about Potter and what he's doing um, for the club. And uh, I would still be of that view, even if we were to get relegated. And, you know, that still remains a possibility. Um, It doesn't look um, quite as probable as it did two games ago um, uh, um, but um, what he's done in terms of uh, bringing players through uh, I think is basically um, increasing the value of the squad um, with, with what he's doing um, and the the style of football is excellent I mean our uh, another reason why I've been relatively comfortable is that our expected goals has been far higher than what we've actually managed to achieve. But of course, against Newcastle, uh, um, we exceeded our XG, which um, has, is pretty unusual for us. Yes, indeed. And I mean, Raymond's mentioned Modo. I'll come to you again in a moment, actually, Raymond. But you mentioned Modo. I thought, yeah, I mean, the first chance came to him and it, it seemed very much like similar shots Albion have had just ballooned over the second one I think he's got a decent shot on target a little bit more power perhaps and he might have uh, or slightly more angle it may have spilled and we were first on the scene if that were to happen a couple of players more maybe and one of them were lurking um but we did get into our stride um as you said right from the off there seemed to be space we exploited it Newcastle didn't seem to have a coherent plan for me and I thought um it was very curious trying to work out how the team was lining up here because we had Sanchez in goal White, Dunk, Veltman, obviously, the, th- the three obvious defenders. And then Lalana Basuma and in more advanced role, Trossard was was going to be the central mid. But it was about what the others were going to do. So it seemed Brosh as a as a, um, a right midfielder come right back or a right wing back, depending on how exactly the formation developed itself. Moda supposedly as a, as a left wing back. And he did get very advanced, as we saw by him getting those early two chances. For me, it felt like there's elements of total football coming in here where players seem to be popping up in all sorts of locations. We've, we've seen it, haven't we, this season with the likes of Ben White getting forward, Byrne getting forward. Here you have Moda, who, who made a lot of interesting runs. I think he created space as well as the fact Newcastle afforded a space. I think a lot of it was credit to, to the likes of Moda, who you may have noticed on both of those, those two goals that... Uh, seemed so resemblant of each other, the first two goals, in some respects. Moda was making runs in both cases, particularly in the first goal. Um, he drew a couple of defenders out and made the space available. It, it helped us. And I think 
that was one of the elements that made this work better. The clinical finishing, obviously, is the very, very most important other one. But um, yeah, going, going back to you, Raymond, I think you wanted to dive in there. Over to you, sir. I was going to say two things. Firstly, I, had, I don't think the Newcastle players had the faintest clue what they were meant to do, other than the goalkeeper who realised he was mm. meant to save shots. Um, <laughs> break down the left wing who realised he was meant to run at us and perhaps have a go. And uh, I think they're completely bemused. And uh, I mean, certainly just not at the races. And, and it, or perhaps they were at Cheltenham races, figuratively speaking, from last <laughs> week. Um, but the interesting thing I thought was that Moda was actually playing almost in a sort of inside left sort of position. Mm. And I think that completely threw them because they, they didn't know what to do with him. And with Welbeck and Morpé playing out wide, the conventional strikers, and Trossard playing in his favoured deep-lying central attacking role, mm. they weren't sure whether they should go up on Trossard. So Moda and Trossard, I think, were causing them immense problems because they thought, well, these are the only guys here. But what about Welbeck and Morpé? And I think they just never got to, got to terms with it. And I thought it was tactically... Uh, going back to Andy's point uh, about Potter, I thought it was a, for once a, a real Potter masterclass. Hmm. Yeah, it was very fluid. Um, Andy, what yeah, would you I say mean, to I, that? I, I quite like your description of um, total football. Uh, the term that I was using was um, a slightly asymmetrical formation, because if you have a, I mean. I've thought this, but it was um, confirmed by having a look at the heat maps. What you had was, um, Raymond's quite right to say that um, Mopé and Welbeck were playing kind of wide, but Mm. Welbeck was playing really, really wide and high advanced on on the left. Mopé less so, he was slightly more inward. Um, And um, Trossard was kind of false nine, ten type position. Yeah. Um, where, of course, he caused his damage against Southampton as well. Um, And I I thought Trossard was extremely good because he he engineered the kind of key actions, the the first goal and and the second goal. Um, But, of of course, um, Dan Byrne, I think, was due to play, um, Mm. pulled out. Um, just beforehand because he felt his hamstring and Moda was drafted in instead. So effectively Potter was down to three defenders, but those three defenders are so intelligent, I think, um, that they managed to kind of nullify any threat that Newcastle kind of pondered about posing to us. Um, Mm. So... um, uh, I, I think effectively that, um, yeah, Moda's kind of energy saw him get around an awful lot of the, uh, um, the pitch. And then um, Raymond's talked about kind of inside left. He, he he was kind of almost playing left wing back, inside left, left midfield. Um, but Gross was playing extremely wide right as he did in the second half against Southampton, but not as high up the pitch as um, Welbeck was. Um, And obviously, Basima was back to to top form um, and Lilana was pulling the strings in there as well. So uh, 
yeah, um, extremely impressive. Yeah, I, I see what you mean about the asymmetrical thing there. Yeah, with the sort of well well back and cross on a diagonal a displacement angle, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting point. I mean, it's very hard to work out, which I think is, uh, as you said, is the kind of the point, isn't it? You want it to be hard to work out. So Newcastle, who are not very tactically astute, are then going to have all the more problem trying to work out what the hell's going on. Um, yeah, Richard, what did you make of the formation? Well, I, I, I was just going to kind of pick up on some of the things Andy said. I mean, I think, I think hmm. yeah, the, the total football analogy is quite, you know, maybe is a bit of a grandiose one. I don't know. But I think, <laughs> I think the way it was, I think it's in keeping with, with Potter's philosophy, as we said before. I don't, I don't think he, I think he prefers to think of people or to pick and develop players who are versatile enough and have enough range of kind of technical, basic technical skills to play not quite almost anywhere, but in a, in a range of different positions rather than pigeonhole people as being occupants of a certain position and a certain position only. And you need you need people with game intelligence in order to be able to do that, because if they see somebody like Moda, you know, making a run down what, as Raymond said, would have been once considered the, the inside left channel, that requires other people to adjust their position and to respond to what, what's unfolding. And I think if you look at the likes of, of particularly Gross, Lalana, Feltman, others, and you can go around the team and say of many players that they have got that game intelligence and are able to respond to, to, to whatever's going on in the pitch and whatever's, whatever's unfolding in front of them. And um, a Trossard as well. You know, I'd say the same about him. I think, you know, that was, that was a particularly pleasing aspect of, of, of Saturday. Um, and it would be quite hard to describe. You know what? What, what was the shape of the team? It, was, it would be it would be quite a hard question to answer, given the roles people played and the positions that they took up on the pitch. Um, but yeah, new, I mean, we might come to Newcastle. I don't know, but they they clearly struggled with with well <laughs> with with a number of things. But that was one of them. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the game, obviously there, there was one very key period that happened um, for all that had gone on in the game. It really came down to a sequence of probably about 10 minutes of match time, albeit either, either side of the half-time break, where you had, the um, first of all, the injury, which was unfortunate for Newcastle. Let's, let's be honest, that did help. Um, Isaac Hayden went down what looked, didn't look anything particular at first, turned out to be something quite serious. Um, he, match was held up for a few minutes. Basuma looked actually quite distraught by it. I don't know if it was... Uh, it was purely accidental. I think he was knocked off balance and collided. Um, whether he heard something, whether he just heard about what had happened afterwards, I don't know. Um, but anyway, it felt as if they were called on the hop with that as well, because the beautiful ball over the top from Veltman for the first goal, uh, as I said, Moda makes his run, which creates um, a space for um, Trossard to potentially exploit. One really good first touch, a nice turn, a couple of, of important many touches to get him into position, then gets his shot off with the space that was afforded him, which is great. But that's in an area where possibly Hayden might have been looking to cover. How well he might have been able to do that, who knows? But I think that was a key area. And and that goal coming in just before half-time. Um, there's never a bad time to score a goal, of course, um, but that is a particularly good time to score just when you're trying to prepare a, a team um, talk at half-time, as Bruce would have been doing suddenly you've got two different situations to deal with. You've got to think about a change of personnel and trying to pet the team up after that. Plus, you've then got to deal with the, the extra blow of conceding the goal. They did come out quite strongly at the beginning of the half. 
They had their only purple patch of sorts, um, started on the front foot, and of course had their one true chance in the game, which was a well-worked move. Fell to Fraser, who was out in sort of an inside left attacking position, hit it first time, opened his body up, not quite enough to get in the far corner, hit the post, went out to safety, and that was it as far as Newcastle were concerned. And then in a matter of just a few short moments, uh, we got the second goal, Welbeck cutting in from the left, similar to Trossard, albeit the approach play was different, um, and a similarly great shot into the bottom corner. And that period was where the game turned in terms of the telling stats, the goals. Um, anything really to make of that in terms of the injury? I mean, I, mean, I, I felt we were going to win the game anyway. It felt like the game was there for the taking. I know we've said that before and not come out, <laughs> come out with the spoils, but um, Raymond, what, what would you make of those those thoughts? Well, um, starting with the injury, I mean, Basuma was clearly concerned. He was going up and talking to him. He looked really distressed. And to the extent it happened just before half time, I thought that was good so that the, the Potter and people could get Basuma's mind in the right place. And I noticed one or two of the other Brighton players, like Alana, going up and uh, consoling Basuma and making sure that he was. Um, not you know, going to be worried about it. They're obviously saying, look, it wasn't your fault, don't worry. But he was clearly upset mm. and very, very easy for a player to get distracted and, and pull out of challenges when you've been involved in something like that. I thought it was absolutely key that we scored before half-time because we dominated and hadn't actually delivered. And had it been nil all at half-time, one wonders whether they would have had more belief and whether we would have started doubting uh, the, mm. the quality of our play and whether we were going to actually get the end result. So I thought, thought Trossard's bit of magic and, and Veltman that's given credit and Moda um, you know, it was absolutely key going in. And so nice that it was we who scored just before half-time rather than conceding just before half-time. And I, th- I, I think it made a, a, a big difference. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, Andy, what do you think of that? Um, well, in terms of your contribution there, Russell, um, in terms of the Basuma incident, yeah, he he got knocked into Hayden and actually mm. went into him with his kind of back, his side, rather than... Um, there was nothing malicious in it, but he was immediately concerned, so I suspect he heard something. Um, mm. um, and... Uh, in terms of um, the goal that we scored before half time, um, Trossard's goal, um, the thing that you didn't, I mean, you've been mentioning Moda's runs. Uh, I thought Trossard's run was amazing uh, itself. It was so well timed. Mm. And in a sense, that formation that Potter picks with the front three means that um, Mope and, and Welbeck were doing the kind of out-to-in type runs, whereas the run that Trossard was doing was a kind of in-to-out type run. Uh, I also thought he hit the ball absolutely brilliantly, that um, such that it bounced just before the goalkeeper's dive, um, mm. which was great. And in terms of the Welbeck goal after second half, um, I, I, I would just comment on the... The, the great bit of approach play that um, that that involved um, Lalana lifting the ball up to Mope, who 
quite nicely passed it across to Trossard, who uh, um, got the assist um, with that early pass for Welbeck. I'd agree with your point, Ross. I mean, both the, both those two goals came at good times for us. I think, I think oh, as right. Raymond said, I, I think, I think Potter commented on this afterwards, particularly with reference to the first goal that to have gone in at half time at nil nil, having had so much positive approach play and so much of the ball, you, you know, would have been you would have felt unrewarded for that. So, aside from the injury, which was unfortunate for Newcastle, to be able to score just before half time was a good thing. And then the second goal, as you said was just after they had their only realistic chance of the game, as I recall, and hit the post. So, I mean, at the set, our second goal was literally within minutes of that. So the timing of both of those two goals was, was I think, really important for you know, sustaining the dominance and the, and the momentum that we had in the game. Interestingly yeah. enough, we had 74.5% possession in the first half. And we had ah. some... 6% possession overall. In a, in a way, I thought we were more dynamic in the second half because we had so much possession. And Newcastle were um, so sort of sitting back so much in the first half. Mm. It, 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 it began to remind me of the Aston Villa and Crystal Palace games and sort of West Brom games. That, that sort of, you know, we were dominating to such a degree. It became difficult. And one of the things I noticed is that we weren't flooding the penalty area quite as much, which meant I think that there was more space. I think that a lot of the time we're getting so many players into the box with people marking them that it actually comes quite difficult to score. Mm. Really, because there are about 12 people plus the goal, goalkeeper in a fairly central area and trying to weave the ball between them all is difficult. Whereas actually our, our shots even for the, the Morpé goal, there's only really he and Welbeck who were actually in the area that, that was threatening. And the fact that they had that extra space, I think, helped for the clinical finishing. Yeah. Uh, well, the I'd like to just point out, points that Andy had made earlier, and Richard referred to as well, is the intelligence of some of the players. And one of the things I think Potter has got is he, he puts his faith in intelligent defenders so when you've got people like White and Dunk and Veltman and Webster when he comes back, they're intelligent. They can all play. They're all easy and comfortable on the ball. They're all good at reading the game. And uh, normally, and Webster's, I think, positional play has improved out of sight this year. Um, but one of the things I think Burn lacks is that same defensive sort of savvy and intelligence and he works hard and does everything, but hasn't got that extra sort of football brain mm. that the other three have. And it, and it, the fact we only had three defenders on on the pitch, you know, and, yeah. and yeah, you know, they, they didn't have a chance. Uh, it speaks a lot for Potter uh, and his other coaches, and indeed yeah. the, you know, the three players concerned. Absolutely, Raymond. I think that's a good point. Um, and you could argue we've got three first-choice defenders out. We're, we're doing the business in these last couple of games with, with that situation in place. I know we've, we've, we've got replacements that are doing well. I'm wondering, uh, we'll look ahead to it later on down the line, but in terms of the Man United game, which comes up next in a couple of weeks, um, is it a case of horses for courses? Or do we, do we stick with what we've got now? That's, now that Moda did start ahead of Burn, um, are we looking at that and thinking, well, 
we could use the same personnel to obviously like a subtly adjusted effect, but to a similar effect against Man United. Is that feasible or are we going to be coming unstuck a bit if we try the same thing against those guys? Because um, we need to get revenge for what happened earlier in the season. <laughs> well, um, and... Rumour has it that Webster might be back after the international break. Potter's said that a few times. I mean, whether that transpires or not, um, hmm. And I think if he's fit, he comes back in, in the starting 11. And uh, uh, I would be less secure about playing with three defenders against United because they will attack us. Um, yeah. Sure, Newcastle were that intent upon attacking us. Hmm. Yeah, indeed. And uh, Richard, um, any any other sort of comments on the match as a whole? Uh, from well, you, what, what what else did you take from it? Well, I suppose, yeah, I mean, I, I, I suppose reflecting on, you know, what did we learn or, or what did we see that we hadn't seen so much of in previous games? And the, the one thing that I think was noticeable was um, throughout the game, actually, was if we, was, was we, we pressed the ball very aggressively and with a lot of intensity. If we lost it high up the pitch, um, very, very quickly, there was, you know, one or two players trying to retrieve the ball and get it back in in, in advanced positions, um, which I know is, is something Potter wants to develop. But it was it was very, very well executed, I thought, on on Saturday. So that was pleasing. We did actually manage to, you know, recover possession in advanced positions quite a few times. Um, uh, I know we'll probably come on to the third goal, but the other, you know, the other, the other big benefit was Mope scoring, and it was a good goal as well. I know he's had a bit of a bit of a dry patch, and I think um, for any striker, getting on the score sheet reasonably regularly is a is a big confidence booster. So hopefully that will that will do him good. Um, yeah. And Moda, we've already talked about uh, at, at some length. I thought you know beyond the the result and the three points, those those three things were things that impressed me particularly. He's been sitting on seven goals for quite a while, more pay yeah. and finally got onto eight, eighteen for us overall, um, including last season. So he's on course as it, as he has been for a while to to at least match or maybe even beat last season's figure. So that's that's looking okay. I've always said he's part of a core of players that were good going forward for us in terms of you know planning for the future going forward. Um, but he he would need help. But yeah, it certainly helps when Danny Welbeck mucks in. Now Trossard's really got his eye in for goals. It's almost as if Dunk going on to four goals has really spurred him on. Go, hang on a minute, he's getting away from me here. So he's banged in two and two. He's up on four as well now, Tross, isn't he? Um, the Tross bar uh, nickname's already being ruined, isn't it? Now he keeps missing it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, it, it's good when the goals are coming from elsewhere. Um, but I think it was vitally important for me that Morpé scored sooner than later against somebody, um, just to get him back into the into the right mindset, really, in terms of his confidence. Um, Andy, over to you again. Yeah, I mean, you could see um, the relief for him um, uh, in scoring. Uh, in fact, just before this, I was watching a pitch side cam, which um, I think is probably on the Albion website, uh, and you can really hear him kind of um, yelp um, in, in relief at scoring. Uh, it's been 10 goals <laughs> since his, his last scored. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Mopé. I, I don't think he's had the best season, to be honest. He, he, he looked um, completely shot at certain points, but uh, you, can, you can't fault, fault his um, work rate. 
Um, and uh, um, he's got some good ideas. He doesn't execute them always that well. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Richard was talking about pressing. I, I think he's key to that. I mean, the the upturn in pressing actually, I think, has coincided with Lalana getting back um, to fit, um, match fitness mm. because I mean, he for someone that's thirty two, he really it. It's as if he was um, playing for Liverpool five years ago under a press um, clock team in the way in which he's pressing. Um, and yeah, obviously, if he if he continues that form that um, he's produced in the last couple of games for the rest of the season um, and in, into the next two years of his contract, and we're sitting pretty. So. Yeah, I mean, just on that on that. By the way, just a couple of things. Um, I think he did actually have COVID, didn't he? And that, that's yeah. been, in fact, the reason he's been described as ill. It was, I mean, we thought it might be that. It was that. And I think it's taken a bit of time for him to recover from it. Um, I think historically as well, I've been hearing he did su- he had suffered from a, I think it's a stomach-related condition. I forgot to look it, it up, yeah, actually. Yeah. But yeah. Um, there's an interesting interview he did, in fact, in November with Melissa Reddy, who's a, a Liverpool supporting national level journalist who's very good actually. She's doing her own podcast called Between the Lines. And one of the back episodes is just an interview with him, about 50, 50 minutes worth, um, which is quite interesting in general. There's some stuff on the album, but it's about his whole career. But he talks about it in there. Um, but he is saying he's feeling happy to be playing now or getting into a position where he, he can he has the chance to play more regularly. Obviously, now he is doing that. Since that interview, he's now been able to to achieve that, having got over the COVID situation. Um, and yeah, it's proving that he can get a sustained run of games together. And as you said, if he can play at this Liverpool style level, that's opening doors because he's playing reverse passes, disguise passes. Things will open up the teams um, that we're playing against far more efficiently. Um, and we've got quality around us who can realise and exploit those uh, opportunities given them. Uh, the likes of McAllister, I know he only came on as a sub in this match, but those kind of players will benefit from that as well. It's improving the quality of others. Um, Raymond, would you go along with that one? Well, I, I think it is. I, I mean, he does a lot of sort of unseen things, but I, the other, one of the things is I think he talks a lot to, to the players. And I mm. think that having that extra leadership on the pitch makes a difference. But coming back to Andy's point about Morpay, I was pleased he scored, not least of which, because I think the last two or three games before that, um, he's actually been playing quite well. It just yeah. has, his, his form has definitely picked up and he he needed a reward for, for that improved spell of form. I mean, he was one of the best players, I thought, at Southampton. Um, as an example, both he and, and Welbeck, I thought, were good there. Um, going back to the Manchester United thing, um, I'm, of course, one doesn't know what team Solskjaer will actually choose. So it's quite difficult to know what team we should choose. But the one thing I felt about Moda is it's the first time I've seen a bit of balance on the left further forward since March got injured. And therefore, mm. I, I would quite like to see Moda still accommodated in there. I mean, that doesn't have to be at the, the exclusion of uh, Byrne, because Byrne can play in the left centre-back role and Veltman can move back to the right wing-back role. So, and Gross can go further forward. So I think there are, I think there are options, but I think Moda had gave us a balance on the left, which we haven't had, because he, 
you know, can use his, you know, he seems to be two-footed. And we, we haven't had that. We had people like Alzati coming back onto his right foot. Trossard is never as effective when Potter sticks him out on the left wing. Hmm. I think it's too, and, yeah. and Trossard is so much more effective when he's playing centrally. And, and seems, so much happier too. Yeah, and he, he hmm. gets involved. And I mean, one of the things I liked on Saturday was the fact that when we took Trossard off, who do we put on but McAllister? You know, I mean, when was the last time that we were able to bring on a sub, you know, who who was fit and, and could have been chosen, who wasn't going to change the standard of quality of the team we had on the pitch? And uh, you know, the fact that McAllister, Trossard, Lalana, we've got three people who can play in that advanced position of, of quality. And mm. it's a lot of time since we've had that. So it's... Uh, uh, I think interesting, but the Manchester United one coming back to your original question, difficult because I take the point only having three three defenders would not be enough. So I think we, mm. if Bird is fit, uh, or Webster, come back to your point, Andy. I, I'm not convinced uh, that Webster will be back because I'm always sceptical of when when the Albion um, say, "Well, the guy's going to be out for two weeks." It always seems to end up being three months. But um, other, other than that. Um, you know, if Webster comes back, uh, if we've got Burn, then, you know, we have options. Yeah, well, gentlemen, we're going to take a short break there. And coming up, just a little bit more chat on the Newcastle game after the break. And we'll also get into a little bit on some other general football news. As we mentioned earlier in the show, we will give you that address if anybody does want to make any further donations towards the charity event that took place on Saturday in aid of Albion in the community. It was called Together for AITC and the Just Giving page, if you wanted to donate, is www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Together for AITC. That's the number four in the written address. And also, if you are feeling charitable, don't forget you can still give us a review for this show by hitting the five-star button. If you are listening via Apple, you can also write written reviews. All of that stuff helps. We really do appreciate it. So we're back with part two, talking about the glory of that victory over Newcastle 3 0 at the weekend. I'm in the company of Richard, Andy Knott, and the gent Raymond. Um, uh, Graham Potter, quoting the game, he, he said, uh, quality, courage, attitude to describe his players. Um, I think that's a fair as- assumption um, to make that that's a pretty accurate assumption. Um, courage is the interesting word in there, though. So obviously they felt this was a big game and they had to be brave on the ball and take the game to the opposition. It did feel like we did that, didn't it? And maybe also courage of their convictions to keep going on as well because we, we carried on playing well, we took our opportunities and we got a third goal as well later in the match. Um, should we talk about that? Because we haven't mentioned it so far. It involved what's constantly been described as Pascal Gross's version of a, of a Cruyff turn. I think we've got to give it its own name, haven't we? I, don't, I haven't got anything in mind. Has anyone got the, apart from just calling it a Grosch turn, which sounds a bit naff, I don't know, a Pascal swivel, I don't know, some, something. There's, there's got to be a word for it. If anyone's got any ideas, uh, tweet us at Brighton Rock Pod. But you guys, have you got any ideas in mind? 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the gross gyration, but I'm sure someone can come up with a better, a better answer than that. <laughs> I, I'm going to go for Pascal Pirouette. Ooh, nice Pascal oh, Pirouette. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Pascal Pirouette. It's, it's a PP for short. Sounds okay. A gross swivel doesn't sound good, does it? We, we definitely don't want to call it that. <laughs> anyway, well, whatever it is, let's, let's call it the Pascal Pirouette for now. He, he provided it yet again, didn't he? And yet again, it works. I'm not quite sure how much of this is a body language thing. It just somehow lulls people. But Andy? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I have a view on um, lots of people say of Pascal that he does it so often that the opposition team must be able to read it. Um, but I think the reason why he does it uh, and gets away with it is um, because his delivery is so good that the opposition defender is trying to get the block in just in case it's the delivery rather than the Pascal Pirouette. Um, because, uh, you know, um, the number of assists that Grosh has got is, is just incredible. Um, his work rate rate's amazing, but I mean, he is so slow. He really is such a terribly slow player. But despite that, he's contributed so much to the Albion. Yeah, and it, he's really come back, hasn't he? There was a period people were starting to go in the early throws of writing him off, and he's he's come back strong, probably playing as well as ever, if not better than ever, uh, for us at the moment, um, given the context of the you know the, the position we're in. Um, and yeah, he got the he got the assist for the goal, a good cross in, and more paid for what looks for a while. As I first saw it, I wondered if he got a clean contact and how much there might have been some fortune about it. But I do think it was a good it was a good connection actually, and um, a well placed goal under pressure. He was heavily marked, but he um, with no time to spare, he got his shot off. Um, so a good assist, a good shot, and. I know we've said this before that Morpé seems to benefit from not having time to think about it, but sometimes he's, he's taken little sort of stab shots from cutbacks from the byline and it's not gone well. In this case, with this particular cross in from, from a wider position, um, he, he took it perfectly, didn't he? Um, would you um, say, Raymond, apart from the Pascal pirouette, how did you like the finish, Raymond? Oh, it's an excellent one. I, I think one has to give credit to Welbeck because Welbeck passed the ball out to Gross kept running and when he yeah. did so, he he took a couple of the defenders with him actually went offside very briefly but came back but the result was that Morpé was onside the whole time and Welbeck comes back onside but he's got but the sort of two Newcastle defenders around them are trying to cover Welbeck on the one hand and then realizing they're having to cover Morpé by which time it was too late so he, it was slightly behind him as well it wasn't sort of um, so I, th- I think he did well to finish and he hit it into the side netting so you know, I, I thought a, a well taken finish and it's, it's so frustrating because that's what we know he can do but it, I, I think there was a half an assist from Welbeck there by his movement but again the, as I was saying earlier the box wasn't too crowded and therefore Gross had the space to be able to pick out the man yeah, well, um, on the watch watch along that we did for the charity thing on Saturday, um, discussion about which was the best goal, which was our which was our favourite goal of the three, and which was technically the best. It was it was quite a debated issue, really, um, for various reasons. What, what do you? Got, I mean, Rich, I'll get back to you, Richard, with this first. What do you guys in general think about this? 
Um, I, I found it hard to decide. I think if I had to pick one, I would pick I would pick the first one, Trossard's goal for the for the vision of the pass, the instant control, and the quality of the shot. Which, if you look at it from a certain angle, I mean, he actually bent it from out and it was outside the frame of the goal for a lot of its trajectory and only bent in at the last minute. Yeah, and the that, run, as Andy I, said I think, as well, from Trossard. I think, yeah, and I think. Hmm. Without taking, I mean, I th- without taking anything away from Morpay's finish, which I thought was really good because it was a difficult height and it was slightly mm. behind him, so he did have to contort his body position a bit to get a finish of that quality in, and it was a it was a good assist. I do I do think, and and I you know the the general kind of caveat to all the plaudits we've been offering here is that I thought the opponent was shockingly poor <laughs> for for most of the game. I really did. I haven't seen much of Newcastle this year, but they were. They were very poor. And I think if I was a Newcastle supporter or a Newcastle defensive coach, I would be absolutely horrified at what they put. I know they were cooked by the time they were 2-0 down, but the defending and the build-up to the third goal was pretty woeful. I mean, Welbeck could sort of amble across and do what he wanted. There wasn't a lot of pressure on the on on the assist, good though it was. So that's partly why I would pick goal one as my favourite, but, you know, a more general comment. It's evaluating the performance overall is made a little bit more difficult by the fact that I thought the opponent was really poor. Mm. Andy, which, which of the three did you like the best or which was the best? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would go along with what Richard's just said. You know, everything in terms of what, what he's just said. They're, mm. they're all good goals. Um, yeah. The the thing about the Mope one, I'd say, would be um, there was that much pace on the cross from gross that he he just needed to deflect it um and i suppose that's one thing that has wound me up at times this season that we go for these kind of floaty balls into the box where um Mm. uh, you're never going to score off them because you have to generate the power and um players are having to contort their kind of positions and so forth um but yeah i i i would go for trossard's goal as as the one um Here's here's an interesting stat for you. Uh, the two Newcastle games, obviously, we've had a nice cushion and we could relax in that game, especially when mm. that third goal went in. Um, Newcastle was so atrocious that um, there was zero chance of them getting back once the third one went in. Uh, I think that probably applied with the second as well. Um, but... Um, uh, Leicester spanked us 3-0, which was probably about our poorest performance this season. Um, and there was the Everton 4-2. But every other game has gone down to the final whistle, which hmm. may be why this season's kind of tried Albion fans' nerves even more. Um, you know, we've either drawn or or lost or won by the odd goal. More, more often than not lost by the, the odd goal. Um, so, um, f- for many reasons, actually, the uh, um, Saturday's game against Newcastle was unusual to what we've been subjected to this this season. I suppose that yeah. suppose also makes it all the more pleasurable when you get the luxury of sitting back and watching the last 20, 25 minutes, knowing that the points are in the bag and you're not chewing your fingernails. Um, made made yeah. more, more pleasant viewing. And, and also in terms of the goal difference, I mean, you look at the goal difference, we're on minus four. The teams in the bottom 
four who are below us, minus 34, minus 37, minus 15 is Fulham, minus 20 Newcastle, and above us, minus 15 Burnley, Southampton the same, and, you, and Wolves is minus 10. So you have to go to 11th in the table to find somebody with a better goal difference, which obviously illustrates the point Andy had just made about things going to the wire. Um, uh, and I, I do think that, um, yeah, that does make for a tense time, doesn't it, for fans? But by the same token, it's, um, it's, it keeps it entertaining. <laughs> and I do think when you, look at, when you look at goal difference, the teams that go down don't have something like a minus four goal difference at this stage of the season, generally speaking. So I'm, I, that's one of the reasons I'm confident. Um, Raymond, what, what's your thoughts on that and, and your favourite goal as well? Well, if I start with the favourite goal, I would echo both Richard Landers' thought. I thought Trossard, as much as anything else, it, it actually delivered what we needed at the time. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, the quality of all three goals, I thought, was good. But that was the one that we needed most because that that put us where we deserved to be. And without mm-hmm. it, you know, we, we wouldn't have got goals two and three, arguably. Um, I thought... It, it, the Morpeg goal was actually more of a team goal because there was quite a lot of passing before it even got to Welbeck, before he passed it out to Gross. There were uh, you know, about half a dozen players involved in the move. And I suppose for the sheer quality of, of the finish in some ways, I'm, I'm not sure Welbeck's wouldn't be the best, but I still think Trossard's mm. was, was the most important. In, in terms of um, what you were just saying, I, I, I'll ask you about something Richard said, and that was that uh, I thought Newcastle were very poor. Yeah, they were, weren't they? Yeah. Difficult for us to, to judge how good we were. Um, yeah, and in terms of the goals, for me, I, I think I'd probably just edge it with Trossard as well, because the importance of a goal, that first goal at that stage, we're talking about the key period of the game, and the fact that he had to curve it from out to in. Um, Welbeck's was great for the fact that he was kind of slightly more of an angle to the goal and he hit it so strong, such a straightness to the way he hit it. Um, but he basically beat the goalkeeper just as easily as Trossard's quality of shot had, but without the benefit of the curve to go with it. So, I mean, I thought they were great. But um, Richard's had to leave us, so bye to him. Thanks for joining us, Richard. Um, Andy, I know you've got to go shortly as well. Um, do you want to just come back in for a final word from, from yourself on the game? I, I don't know if I do. I think I've... I've... <laughs> said what I have to say yeah. really um, yeah sit back relax with a, with a nice grin <laughs> cigar and brandy yeah. um, well all, all I'll say is my kind of part in the shot is to come back to the point that you were just making about goal difference um, uh, and this is another reason why I've felt slightly more comfortable than others this season is um, our, go- our goal difference is, is good I think that is a key metric to look at alongside the points total um, but also as I say our, our expected goals have comfortably outperformed um, um, our points total um, and I think we've basically been unlucky this season I'm, I'm, I'm not going down the route that you often do uh, Russell which is about <laughs> decisions and so forth it's just about you know, um, hitting, hitting the trust bar that many times um, and, and just, just getting it so much right apart from that final finish. Small small margins often just going against us, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. 
true. We our, our game management at times this season could have been a little bit better. Hmm. Yeah. Andy, a question. How many more points do you think we need to stay safe? Uh, probably not many. Um, I know Albion fans um, won't be thinking that um, at the moment, but I suspect if you look at Newcastle's running, it's it's really, really tough. Um, they have mm-hmm. got a couple of games right at the end of the season, which I think is Sheffield United and then finally the big head-to-head um, against Fulham. Um, as awful as Newcastle looked and their form is, um, the return of Callum Wilson, who's been involved in 60% of their goals, mm. um, maybe St. Maxman, may well give them the kind of spark that they need. Um, Fulham, Fulham have been playing well for a long time and have that kind of defensive solidity with Anderson and and, and Tosin and, and the brilliant goalkeeper that they've got. Mm. They just can't score goals. You know, uh, we've yeah. moaned at the Albion, but I think it's 23 goals that Fulham have managed in 30 yeah. games. Yeah, they had a purple patch with Marjorie for a bit, didn't they? But again, against Leeds, they... They looked like they were struggling. I mean, really powder puffing their way through some chances, and um... and they, they they need to get victories if they're going to stay mm. up. Um, yeah, they're they're not going to do it by drawing. Um... Yeah, because they they lost on Friday. They've, they've got twenty six points um, minus fifteen. Newcastle the worst goal, worst, the lesser goal difference, but they're on twenty eight. Um, and they've um, got the game in hand, same as us, um, on Fulham. So it is still all to do for Fulham, isn't it, really? when We're talking about Newcastle being the likeliest looking, but actually Fulham have got quite a bit of work to do uh, at this stage. Yeah, I, I, I think... I, I would like to say that at the moment we could look up um, the table. Uh, hmm. The problem there is that Southampton and Burnley have got have got a really nice run-in, actually. Um hmm. I think Wolves have really, really struggled ever since Jimenez um, yeah. got, got injured. Knocked him off. Because him off bit, hasn't um, he, he, he also brought the best out of Traore. And, you know, as exciting as Traore is as a player, um, his end product is very, very poor, unless he's crossing for Jimenez. Um, yeah. Uh, Russell, can I just ask you, and Andy, um, how much Fulham losing on Friday made a difference in terms of our mental approach and everything else? Because uh, to me, that that was a big difference. Well, I, I think it was a big boost for the fans, but not really for, for the players. Um, I, I don't think it changed the way in which we went out and played that game. Um, you, you know, maybe it lifted a little bit of the burden off the shoulders uh, of the players. And um, Russell, earlier you were talking about Potter, and I mean he does actually use that word courage quite a lot in post-match interviews. Mm. Um, I mean it's it's generally positive comments uh, in relation to the players. Yeah, yeah. true. But um, he. The one thing that kind of um, I noticed about that post-match interview is, again, there was a kind of relief going on there. And, you know, he was saying that the players have so deserved it. 
and I kind of think so. We had that run of three defeats, um, none of which we really deserved. Um, uh, yeah, I mean the the um, the Leicester one was slightly self-inflicted, and that was kind of cruel. But you know, the West Brom one refereeing that dreadful refereeing decision, two missed penalties. Um, Connolly not relaxing when he had an open goal, you know, yeah, that must have been quite hard for the players to process and take, I would say. Yeah, um, so, so Raymond, you may well be right that kind of Philip given by Fulham losing to Leeds, it probably gave them a bit of a boost, I think. Um, but I do think that they would have treated this as a game they really were very determined to try and win. Um, outright and just go for it from the off. Um, so I'd, it may have given them a, an extra, you know, skip in their step maybe, but um, I don't think it would have affected things too much. Probably more us, as you said, the fans and anything. Um, but it does obviously afford us that situation of if we do get the win, which we did, suddenly we've got this six-point gap plus the goal difference due to the level of result and the game in hand still, And um, which, which is a great position now to be in. We've, we've just got to make sure, both, both fans and the players and people behind the scenes, that we don't just get too carried away here. I do think we, we could be looking up in reality. Uh, I do think we'll be safe um, come the end of the season. And in terms of the points figure that Raymond, you were asking about a few minutes ago, I think I think I said the same quite a few weeks ago. It will probably end up being something around 34, 35 mark, maybe 36. I think that's... Um, even more the case now because Fulham getting nine points from remember they've only got eight games left nine points to get to um, uh, 35 that's going to be not easy to start with um, and if they do manage it well, some of that might be at the expense of Newcastle on the final day so we're on the, we're, we're in that sort of situation I think we're probably going to be all right we've, we've got points we can get um, against Sheffield United and the rest so we'll see <laughs> Andy's got to go thanks Andy for joining us cheers thanks Raymond's going to stay on with me for a while so yeah as I say we've got some winnable games still haven't we Raymond as well Sheffield United away when they've got nothing left to play for Leeds who we've got a win against previously Wolves who we've got a draw against previously um a couple of other games which are winnable, doable. West Ham, we I think we've got to play, haven't we? And we 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 could get at them as well at home. Or Everton. Yeah, and Everton, yeah, that's right. And we're quite good against them at home, um, Everton. Our home um hoodoo is kind of wearing off a little bit now, now that we've finally got another win. Um I think it was one in eighteen before this, wasn't it? I asked something about that, Russell, because I gather that the I picked up um I think Johnny Cantor first mentioned it, that the team prepared for Saturday's game as they would for an away game. Hmm. In other words, that they, they met on sort of a Friday evening and were together. And I just, and if that was the case, I wonder how much getting out of the sort of home environment with kids and COVID and all that sort of background and being able to just relax and not hmm. think about all these other issues that are affecting society. Um, has helped them and and perhaps accounts for why our away form has been so much better. I mean, it's been probably top eight. Uh, yeah, that's uh, an interesting point. Yeah, you might might be right. I think um, certainly those those things that you don't necessarily think about, um, although you have, <laughs> um, but um, those, those sort of things, there, there could be quite a bit of value placed on those elements without them really coming under much consideration. But I, I think so. I think that might have had an effect. 
the other thing that's going to be interesting now is now that we've moved in the last two to three weeks into a one game per week format again, we've actually caught back up on track, haven't we now? Um, and also we've got the benefit of this international break coming up, which I think will suit us as much as anyone. Um, it goes into much more of a formula that we're used to, doesn't it? So, and having got those points on the board, we can maybe relax into things a bit better. Maybe we get a couple of players back from injury, like Webster, possibly. We don't really know yet. Um, those things could benefit us, I think. Um, and it's good to sit on a win rather than a defeat, isn't it, over the international break? Well, certainly more relaxing. Um, <laughs> one of the things I've noticed that ever since you scored uh, the uh, goal against us in the FA Cup, Irintuno of Leicester has been on a really hot streak. Nacho, yeah, yeah. Uh, I meant a bit of bet on him in the last two games. I forgot both both times because I knew he was going to score. He's he's a good player. I think he's yeah, a really I mean, good player. Goals at the weekend, three goals mm. the weekend before that. I mean, he's uh, well, probably could have picked him up for you know, not a ridiculous fee, um, sort of earlier in the season or even in possibly January. But it's mm. uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's it's just a, such small things. I mean, people who were. I think people were interested in him and it didn't happen in the summer. And you know, suddenly I, I wouldn't have thought Leicester will let go of him because he's no. very... And he and Vardy are not mutually exclusive, as they've demonstrated. Yeah, that's right. And, and I see Perez is quite good as a backup as well. They've really got it sorted there, haven't they, at Leicester on the forward line? Yeah, well, I mean, they are you know, one of the form teams in, mm. in the league. I mean... And the fact they're into the semi-final of the FA Cup is uh, not a bad season by anybody's standards. Whatever happens, yeah, like, yeah. Um, avoiding Man City and Chelsea, who play each other in the other semi, don't they? Uh, Leicester have got Southampton; they'll be favourites to to win that game. They've never won the FA Cup. So it looks like they might have a chance of beating us to it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's. I mean, I, I wasn't quite sure about Rogers, um, but until this season, but the work he's done at Leicester, I think it's exceptional. And I wasn't quite sure at Liverpool whether it was a flash in the pan. Celtic, he had nobody else to beat. Um, but actually, at Leicester, he seems to have delivered, so all credit to him. Hmm. Uh, so it's going from, on from there. So um, if I could just move on to the football news, you, you said you would update us. I mean, the one thing that I'm aware of is Ryan Longman, scoring two goals, equalising both times for yeah. AFC Wimbledon, who have an even worse home record <laughs> since they moved back to Plough Lane. But uh, obviously good yes. to see Academy players, um, you know, delivering. Yes, I saw that. That was excellent news. Um, yeah, both both goals, as you said, equalisers. Home to Charlton, London derby. Um, yeah, good little player. I'm not sure he'll make it to Premier League level. From what I've seen of him, and um, there's something about him suggests he might. He, he looks quite a bit more like um, an Adam Armstrong type of striker. He'd be a good good for the championship. I mean, I hope he can go further. I hope he can make it with us. We'll we'll wait and see. But yeah, two good goals. Um, one, one was a poacher's finish. The first one was a really good, well worked goal. Um, he's he's looking a good prospect, which is great to see. And yeah, a good bit of news. Um, the Albion's women as well, four wins in a row now, which is brilliant news. And also today, there was news of Sky signing a deal, which has been met with universally uh, good favour from everyone associated with the women's game. Um, it's a three-year deal, 35 games minimum per season. They're going to be screening live. So 
I think the reason it's been universally approved by everyone is the fact that it's going to further raise the profile and visibility of the game, which is on the rise anyway. Um, and the Albion being part of that, um, pretty much safe for sure now after another win. Um, it's looking good for, for the Albion women as well, isn't it? Um, the game's yeah, on the rise. Yeah. It's a, I believe, £21 million deal. Yeah, yeah something is, like that. Yeah. Which is quite a sort of, I mean, by Premier League standards, obviously not, not, not huge, but actually for the women's game, I would have thought, you know, quite will have quite an impact and actually should help uh, various clubs to strengthen their squads from out with Britain that much more and therefore raise the standards and hopefully the profile even more. So yeah. I think a, a really good step in the right direction and, and Hope Powell has uh, you know, really got her team playing at the moment. So uh, Absolutely. She's doing very well. And maybe we could have a Sussex derby in the not-too-distant future. Lewis are in the second tier and they're middling to good, I think, in terms of their position in the table. Well, that well, could we, win. I think when we were down, we did have uh, Sussex derbies, but uh, <laughs> but we got ourselves promoted. But it's, I mean, the, the sort of bloom plan, you know, uh, seems to be delivering. And, and, and if we can just stay in the top tier, that will make a difference um yeah i mean our under 23s uh, went up to blackburn on friday who were second in the table and and ended up getting a one-all uh, draw and if anything will possibly edge the edge the game um so mm. you know they're they're playing not badly and it's a a lot of good players who are not featuring for them uh, like carbonic and people who are presumably part of the first team squad bubble, and Kadra yeah. and, and others. So it's a, uh, you know, it's you know, the, the investment in the academy, in the whole Lansing investment seems to be, uh, you know, yeah. well conceived and se- seems to be being well executed, and seems to be producing uh, results. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we've got um, Robin um, from our pod squad. He's going to join us now by the looks of it. He's in the waiting room. So we're going to admit him in as well um, to make us back up to three. Um, we'll see if he's uh, mic'd up and ready to go. Um, and I think he's with, with Child as well. If you can hear Barbar Blackfeet in the background, then that's... I haven't got the camera on because I'm in his room in the dark, but he's singing Barbar Black Sheep, so, which is probably a more eloquent contribution than I will make, but there we are. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, yeah, I mean, maybe we could record it have as our theme tune. I've been thinking about what to do with having a theme, so that could be it. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Robin. Um, good to, well, hear you, but not see you at the moment. Um, how was that for you, the Newcastle game? Because you live in the northeast, it must have been a, a trauma having a three well, to vote about. Well, yeah, I mean, and it was my birthday as well, so it was a, yes, happy it birthday, was yeah. good. Uh, yeah, I mean, talking to a few Newcastle fans around here, um, a lot of them have said that it was the worst performance they've seen from Newcastle for a decade. Hmm. Um, which kind of some, I mean, they were atrocious. I mean, as well as much as we played very well, they kind of allowed us to play well by basically not being interested in the game as far as I could tell yeah yep seems so didn't it everything clicked really I mean it's that cliche you can only really play what's in front of you can't you so yeah and I think despite despite them being poor despite the misfortune of their injury I think we deserve to win anyway and I think we would have won anyway even if Newcastle had made more of a fight of it 
Um, unless they've gone off the scale in an amazing performance out of the blue. Um, I think we were always likely to win this game. The level of victory, though, very pleasing. And you've got a, a, a good mate of yours as a Sunderland fan, Macam Andy, as we know him, having met him up there. In oh, the yeah, he was, he was absolutely delighted. Um, <laughs> Thought he, he might was, be. Yeah, well, he's fully expecting them to be in the same division as each other next season. Yeah, um, looking likely, isn't it? Which would be, <laughs> would be good. But obviously we'd lose we'd lose one of our best away days. That would be the only yeah true, true. the only problem. But I mean, I think we they in... are. They're in danger. They're yeah, they genuinely are, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest problem was or is is that they're clearly not playing for Steve Bruce. That much yeah. is evident to me, at least. I mean, I know a few weeks ago there were those stories that were leaked out of you know disagreements. I think with Matt Ritchie, wasn't it in particular, and a few mm. other players and. It seems yeah. to be that that really is a thing because they were just, I mean, just not interested at all. Um, which was, yeah. I mean, when Lewis Dunk just chested that cross casually, you know, out of the air, he just wasn't particularly, I mean, he just obviously thought, you know, there's no real threat from this, <laughs> you know, from this team. Yeah, that's right. And they... I mean, the, the word is that they're going to back him as well, Bruce, um, the, the board. So, which isn't a complete surprise because they, they've got form with sort of stick with managers um, through quite a bit in the past. And it does sound, from what I'm hearing, there's murmurs of that not going down too well with some of the players. That seems to be the vibe some of the journalists have picked up on. We'll, um, we'll, we'll find out in the fullness of time just how poorly they play in the run-in I guess as to how well they're happy with that because I think the demotivation is the last thing they need at the moment but I think they've they've shown some signs of fight in some of the recent games but they, they're looking poor they've, they've had a poor season I wouldn't be surprised if they go down as you said Macamandi will be happy he, he came he, he was actually in the away end wasn't he at one game in Newcastle and <laughs> apparently he was celebrating more than we were that was the one yeah he, he came to the one he came, he came to the one nil and he came to the nil nil last season as well um yeah but yeah he enjoyed that he enjoyed that one nil game especially yeah, superb stuff. And as I said, being, being our Northeast correspondent, um, it's obviously delightful to get the results up there, uh, bragging rights and so on. And just tell us about your house move, because you, you're just, just about to move house, aren't you? Um, there's um, a little bit of decorating you were thinking of doing, I understand. Yeah, uh, so the, um, the, the guy that's buying my house is a Newcastle fan. Um, and the guy's house I'm buying is a Newcastle fan. So we've had various suggestions about, you know, leaving leaving an Albion shirt under the floorboards or painting everything blue and white or that kind of thing. So we'll have to see. There might be something along those lines done before we move out. Um, Absolutely. No, it's, um, it is quite amusing because my area is split in terms of fans fairly evenly between Newcastle, Middlesbrough and Sunderland. So um, there's always lots of other people to join in with the goading of whichever of those three is done the worst <laughs> hopefully yes, we tend to, we've got a pretty good record against all of them at the moment um yeah. which is good yeah. but i was reading i think say that 14 percent of our premier league goals have come against newcastle this season <laughs> <laughs> just that's a wonderful stat isn't well, it I'm, I'm... Unfortunately, Robin, we can't play Newcastle every week. <laughs> it would be nice. Can I I'll ask one question with you? Now? One of the players, uh, I thought, uh, actually didn't put a, in a bad shift against us in the first match, but certainly played well for us. 
when he was at Norwich, uh, against us when he was at Norwich, and that was Lewis. And what the, that, that young left back, and I wondered what had happened to him because I didn't, he didn't seem yeah, to be. Yeah, I don't know if he's another one who's injured because I think he had, a very, he had a pretty good start um, to the season from what I recall. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, they have had a, I know we've obviously had our injury problems, but they, you know, they've had, they've had some real injury issues. Um, I mean, Callum Wilson should be back, let's say, after the international break. And he's, you know, he's contributed 40% of their goals or something. So, I mean, they've still got a chance, but they've got a very tough run in. Um, and I think increasingly it's looking like that Fulham-Newcastle game on the last day will probably have something riding on it at this rate. Yeah. And what, what's the general word up there in terms of the, the vibe? I'm, I'm presuming it's all oh, pretty they're like, I mean, I know that we tend to be, as a fan base, generally, we can be down in the mouth. I mean, they, they, are, they are comfortably thinking that they are down, really, um, because they just can't see the momentum changing. Hmm. Um, and I can see that. You know, they've only won twice, two and 18 games or something. Um, yeah. And it's not the stage of the season where you really you want to be on a kind of crumbling run of form like that, especially. Um, I mean, I, I don't know whether you mentioned it earlier on in the episode, but I mean, I think it's quite interesting that the Albion treated this like an away game. Have you touched on this? Oh, yeah. No, actually, we haven't. I'm glad you reminded me of that. I forgot to mention that. Yes. So they yes, stayed, in a hotel, elaborate, they ahead. stayed in a hotel before um, and they treated the whole thing like an away match. Which is an interesting, um, and Graham Potter said he'd been thinking about it for a while. I mean, I don't know whether it was just obviously we've done much better away from home than we have at home. So whether he wants to try and bring the the away match, you know, kind of vibe to it. Um, but he said that he's going to do the same for the Everton game, which is our next well, home we- game. And also is another is another evening game. Um, so I don't know. He said that you just spend. He said if you do it like an away game, you spend a lot less time hanging around at the Amex. So I don't mm. know. Yeah, I, I guess thought so. it was quite interesting. They mentioned it. I didn't realize. I heard them mention it on the commentary. Um, yeah, I think Johnny Cantor flanked it up, didn't he, on Twitter? Yeah, I think, so that initially. was quite interesting. Yeah. And they actually and stayed overnight. Is, and, yeah, that's part of the out of the box thinking, I suppose. That if you look mm. at something that's doing well, which is obviously our away form, you try and replicate it. As bizarre as it is, you know, most of the yeah. time you'd be trying to do the opposite, wouldn't you? You'd be trying to treat things like a home game. But anyway. Yeah. Well, do we count this as an away win now then? Well, <laughs> Maybe we do. 22 yeah, points now away from... <laughs> so anyway, I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, no. oh, that's yeah. good. Well, we're, we're round off. Um, sorry, Raymond. Yeah, go ahead. Robbie, we did touch on it briefly, but one, I was wondering if apart from you know, not spending as much time at the Amex, uh, I was saying to Russell, I just wondered... We're getting out of the home environment, you know, with all the COVID issues and everything else, and having to work from home, whether that also enabled the players to clear their heads uh, from the sort of domestic issues and things. And therefore, I think it's a good, uh, especially, I wonder, it's actually the sort of thing I thought they might do during lockdown when, you know, kids are off school, et cetera. And like you say, players being at home with kids all day, it might be something just to get them out bit more of normality in a sense so I mean it's a very good idea I mean I think it's uh, I suppose it is one of those things criticism would be that you know we run a you know we run a, a not a, we run a bit of a downward spiral and obviously you want you want the man the manager is paid to try and come up with solutions in difficult situations isn't he 
And actually that is an out of the box solution, mm. which you think has got no real downside to it as far as I can see. You know, either it has a positive impact or it has a neutral one. I can't really see it having a negative one. Um, so, I mean, hats off to hats off to Potter that, you know, he's obviously he's trying all sorts of tricks to try and get the morale up. And at the moment, touch wood, you know, it's had a had positive impact. So, yeah, long may but, that continue. Yeah. I mean, if it, if it does focus them in, I think, why not do it? And I think it's a good idea. And yeah, let's do it again for the Everton game. Absolutely. Um, you joined us. We were going through a few bits of um, football news. Um, just to quickly sift through the rest of that, actually, as we round off this episode, um, just a few things to mention. The FA were criticised this week for their findings in the independent report into the child sex abuse scandal within the game in the previous decades. Um, uh, we won't go into it in any more detail here because it's it's quite a, a lengthy subject. We might I might debate it on the uh, the next episode, um, but just to, to say there's there's criticism from all sides there. Dario Gradi and others didn't come out too well from from uh, from a sort of a side issue point of view in terms of those that were the actual perpetrators. A number of clubs not not great. Um, another mistake in um, football. Um, Oh, sorry, another mistake by another footballer leading to another bout of racism and abuse online. Fred, this time, the recipient, as he made a mistake leading to Man United conceding a goal on their way out of the FA Cup. While Morellis at Rangers was also abused after his goal-scoring appearance in the old firm game. And then there's the vile spectacle of Thursday um, in Rangers' European game against Slavia Prague, uh, where Glenn Kamara was visibly... a, a insulted or abused or something had happened it's uh, he, he says it was racism uh, furious arguments ensued um slavia are denying it saying there's not a shred of evidence um you wait for need to look into this and i think if they do find out um that racism has occurred and i strongly suspect it is the case then they need to act robustly firmly and without hesitation um if it can be proved um they won't though because they have the well, the sort of like jelly spines, basically, don't yeah. they? They're completely spineless. In fact, they're pathetic. Everything they've ever done in the way of racism. Yeah, it is. is do we think, um, not playing devil's advocate, but do we think that these sort of incidents are happening more or do we think that more of a spotlight has been shone on them and therefore they're being reported mm. more? So I think I, it's both. I think it's both. I, but... I think both. But I, I, mm. I'm just wondering if everybody, um, obviously killed, but... Everybody should be mic'd so that the bomb incident, if you remember, some years mm. back, going over. If every player is mic'd and you, you and you have a, a copy of what not only they say, but anybody says to them is picked up. And if all the players know they're mic'd, they're going to be careful what they say. But if they don't, you're going to have you know, really mm. hard proof of what's happened. That incident yeah. includes the ref swearing at them and anybody else. So I, yeah. I think. Didn't they have? Um, they had cases of lip read. They had lip reading before, didn't they? In that Bong case, they were trying to work out what had been said by Rodriguez and Bong through lip readers, hadn't they? And then you had players now covering their mouths, you know, when well, they're speaking to what each happened other. With Kamara, Kamara, the guy goes. If, if you saw it, he actually went up and sort of cupped his hand and spoke into his ear. Now. He's not going to be doing that unless he's saying something derogatory of some sort. Well, exactly. Because... I always think that you're not going to be. I mean, I'm not suggesting that every time players, you know, cut their mouths that they're saying something derogatory. But why would you unless it's something that you don't want other people to overhear? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he was. Exactly. It's not going to be tactics, is it? No. He was two inches or three inches from Kamara's ear. So yeah. 
you know, he, he, it, to go that close, so rather than just saying, oh, piss yeah. off you, whatever, which, um, you know. But I mean, I think, yeah, I, mean, us, I mean, the, the punishments, the punishments for both individuals and clubs are in no way a deterrent. Yeah, I, I mean, mean close, behind closed doors would be pathetic now. We've, we've been punished by being vigilant uh, over COVID more than certain other countries have over the last year on that, on that regard. Nothing to do with racism. I mean, do it you it really to, isn't a deterrent. Do we have to start looking at things like full season bans for players? Who are, yeah, I, I think we do. Because, I mean, the, the problem I've got with it is Eastern European clubs and, and Central European clubs like Slavia Prague as well, um, there, there's a bit of an unpleasant undertone to it, the way they came out and they didn't say something along the lines of, well, we, we hope that isn't the case. We hope it would be proved not to be the case and um, there's no place for racism in the game. But they're not saying that. They're just saying, oh, there's not a shred of evidence. We, and then just talking about this guy's character as saying, oh, he always cups his mouth when he talks to people. Okay, well, Obviously, that's a really refused. They also refused to come out of their dressing room when the Rangers yeah. team were waiting for them. Exactly. Why were really... they so upset? Why was Glenn Kamara so upset? I mean, he was fuming. He said he... And obviously Connor Goldson, who is, I think yeah. he's the club captain, isn't he, for Rangers? Yeah, and um... he, he said he, he never, he, he felt they wanted to hurt somebody. That's how angry he was. That's what he said in the press conference. And you get the impression um, he's quite a mild, you know, he's a fairly yeah. mild-mannered individual. So to actually yeah. be, um, anyway, I think, yeah, the punishment needs to start fitting the the crime yeah exactly yeah Robin, um, Robin, Robin I don't think that that hitting the player or finding them makes much difference but if you actually um threw the club out of the competition because of it and then banned them from European competition for um, for the next season or something hmm. they would actually do something about it I, 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 mean, I suppose if the player's they, not ending up with criminal convictions you, you hit the top so. <laughs> If you hit the club, the player will be sorted out by the club anyway. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, just sifting very quickly through the final bits on my news. Um, so some significant, start again, some significant milestones that really are worthy of mention this week from La Liga. As Lionel Messi, the GOAT, of course, Robin, I'm sure you agree. <laughs> he thinks Ronaldo. Um, I do too. Messi... Oh, no, no, no. Anyway, uh, Messi became uh, Barcelona's record appearance maker, turning out for a 768th time versus Real Sociedad at the weekend. As he, uh, and he popped in a couple of goals into the equation for appropriately good measure. Um, and with Juan de Porta now back as in the presidential hot seat um, and general team form improving, they thrashed them 6-1, by the way, at the weekend, um, there's every reason to suspect that what I think is the GOAT will stay on at Camp Nou after all now. And perhaps yeah, I think Cruz he will. Pass, I think with that yeah. the presidential appointment, I think he will. It's going to make the difference, isn't it? And, and 800, was, maybe not. When they were at the top of their peak of their powers, wasn't they, really? Yeah, he, or certainly he, he was, yeah. peak of their powers. Yeah, and he could get to 800, maybe even 900 appearances now. You know, 768, some marker, isn't it, uh, for the Catalan Giants? Also in La Liga, Luis Suarez scored his 500th competitive career goal. That's metal as well. Um, as Atleti continued to go on track to win the league, they're four points ahead of Barca, I think, as we speak. Meantime, in Lyon, pretender to Messi's current best in the world throne, um, Kylian Mbappe. Um, became the youngest Ligue 1 player to reach the 100-goal mark as he hit a brace in PSG's 4-2 away win 
in Lyon. Uh, speaking of young talent, or maybe not quite so young, 39-year-old Zlatan Igorhimovic, as I like to call him, became the oldest player to score 15 Serie A goals in a season at the age of just 39. Um, this comes as he and Sweden announced his international retirement-breaking comeback after a five-year spell away, um, just in time for the Euros um, coming up in uh, in the summer. And finally, and just a bit of um, other sack news, our, uh, well, I think it's sacking anyway, Alex Neal has departed Preston North End after a four-year spell with the Lancashire Club. This and other recent departures, such as Chris Wilder at Sheffield United, mean that Graham Potter is now up to 29th in the list of longest-serving managers absurd. amongst the 92. It's ridiculous, absurd, isn't it? I mean, less um, than two years still. And that is bonkers that two thirds of managers have gone in the last two years. Then. Yeah, um, and more, more could follow as well. The only the interesting other bit of news that I saw was that um, Javi Alonso has got the job at Borussia Mönchengladbach for next season. Yes. Yeah, which will be quite that, interesting yeah. to see. Hmm. Um, I suspect he'll be a very good manager. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Yeah, I suspect the same with Gerard doing well at Rangers. Who knows? I could be fighting over the Liverpool job a few years down the line. Who knows? But yeah, he's he's a good guy and a good appointment, I think. There, um, Real Sociedad B team, I think he's been with until now. Uh, Raymond, yeah. I just wanted the the, the sad news about um, Peter Lorimer's passing. I mean, great. Player. Oh yes, yeah. And actually, he had undoubtedly the hardest shot I've ever seen. And uh, I was reading that Johnny Giles was saying he was the only person who he ever played with, or, or, or against for that matter, who was happy trying to shoot from 40 yards. <laughs> and he did. Yeah, and he... and you know, he, re- he really was. He played well over 700 games for Leeds. They Still mm-hmm. their the youngest ever player, who was, wasn't even 16 when he first turned out for them. And uh, you know, one club man, virtually a one club man, did play a little bit extra. And uh, in spite of uh, uh, being one of the board that sacked uh, Eddie Gray, his mate, um, hmm. from the Leeds job, uh, he still went on playing golf with Eddie uh, afterwards. So uh, a real, real gent and uh, and a legend in, in his own way. Um, yeah, that's. I'm glad you mentioned him, actually, because I'd forgotten to add that to my notes. And uh, yeah, he was a legend of the game. I'm just about old enough um, based on his era and also the fact that he played until he was 39 to to remember him um, sporadically in football highlights and things on TV. Um, yeah, he was, he was a real great. And Leeds themselves and football in general has lost so many legends recently. Um, at Leeds, it's been Charlton, Cherry, Lorimer, and there's another one as well. I can't remember who the other one is. There's four really major names have gone from Leeds in the last year or so. Um, and obviously in the football world in general with the likes of Ray Clements and various uh, other players. Norman Hunter was it. Oh, Norman Hunter, that was it. Yeah, he was the other one. Yeah. So sad day for, for everyone connected with Leeds and obviously with Peter's family. So rest in peace, Peter Lorimer. That's a, certainly a good, uh, a good shout to mention that one. Um, so that slightly more. Can I Sorry, ask on. on two things to do with the, the Newcastle game? A, his man of the match for Brighton and which of the three goals, the question you asked all of us, he thought was the best? Oh, uh, uh, the best of a lot. Well, finish-wise, I think it's Welbeck's. Um, Build-up-wise, Mopes. Um, but I'd probably go for Welbeck's, partly because, obviously, it was so crucial in the match in that they just hit the post at the other end. And then mm. going up 
the other end and scoring a second goal was massively crucial, I think. Uh, man of the match for Brighton. Oh, it's difficult because a lot of people didn't really have much to do. Um, I would probably say, um, I think probably Trossard I'd go for again. Mm. He just seemed to have that impetus. The last few games, he's really worked hard, seems to be popping up all over the pitch. Veltman again, for it, obviously he had the, the pass for Trossard's goal. But no, Trossard just seems to be busy all over the place. But I mean, it could have yeah. been any number of them, really. Yeah, I think, I think Trossard as well, just for the fact that when he's playing well, he's, he seems to edge it for us, doesn't he? Um, getting the winner last week, getting um, a, a good performance and that first goal um, and a good involvement in general in the match at uh, the weekend. I, he just I buzzes around, doesn't that. he? Like you say, when he's mm. on it, he seems to get everybody mm. else buzzing yeah. around yeah, that's right. at the same time. And he's got his eye in now, which is great. So he's, yeah. he's getting in amongst the goals. So as we said earlier in the pod, I think it's almost as if uh, Dunk's riled him by getting onto four goals. So he, he bangs in the second one of the goals at Southampton and then gets one at the weekend as well. Um, and just to, to finish off then, Raymond, your man of the match. Well, I think I'd, I'd go for Trossard too, but uh, I, I would, you know, in, in a strange thing, I would almost say the, the back three unit, which I know mm. is not the man of the man. I was saying <laughs> earlier that the intelligence of White, uh, Duncan, Veltman as defenders, Robin, and that uh, the fact that they're so uh, comfortable on the ball and things and their reading of game, I think is significant in, in some of the football we're playing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Veltman for you know for nine hundred thousand euros is just an absurd bargain. Considering that he can play, you know, he's played wing back, he's played on the right side of central defence, and he's played on the left side of central defence. It's remarkable, isn't it? Really, and it shows the trust. He's obviously he's been moved across to the left side of central defence to help, you know, the makeshift, slightly makeshift wing backs in uh, you know in Moda and Zakiri the other day. So he's mm. obviously trusted implicitly to to do that sort of role um and he just quietly gets about his business doesn't he really and then plays the odd incredible pass yeah and, and what do you think and scores a goal incidentally um, what do you think of, of young moda still only um sort of uh, only 21 the future is very bright yeah i think he's a cracking player as well I think he's going to be absolutely corking. Well, um, when you see Andy Macamandy next, um, tell him to put that champagne bottle down. Stop celebrating it. <laughs> it's not happened yet. But um, there's a very good chance that they will indeed be having a, a derby reprised uh, next season. We'll see how it pans out. Um, give him our regards. I'm sure he'll be yeah, smiling from ear to ear. Yeah. I'm now off to get myself a well-earned fish and chips from what I think is the best fish and chips in town here in London. Um, and it's local on my doorstep, which is very convenient. And I'm starving. So I'm going to treat myself to that. We've got the little one. Uh, we've got Junior Junior. Um, he, needs a, around he, needs a lock, he needs a lockdown haircut. And I can't, <laughs> can't stress that enough. But I'm not brave enough to go anywhere near him with scissors. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I'm no, that's go, true. That's a bit of a problem, isn't it? That. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, nice to uh, nice to join you. Yeah, great to have you back on, Robin. And um, yeah, 
And also um, to, to, to Raymond, who we haven't had on for a few weeks. So good to see you, the gents, back with us as well. So good just, to be smiling. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Russell. Uh, you know, always a pleasure coming on. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. No problem at all. Great. So thanks, guys. And let's keep no those problem. smiles going while we have our well international break. Yep. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers, Robin. And up the Albion, stand or fall. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.